uh, Lord willing, just one week here in chapter 15. But we could spend weeks in this chapter. We could spend a long time in chapter 15. It is a full and foundational chapter in your in your Bible. But my intention in this study of Genesis is to look at every chapter completely, every verse, but not necessarily exhaustively. Okay, that would take us probably the rest of our existence if we go through a book like like Genesis. So I say that because many of you, and today may be an opportunity for that, uh, some of you might find yourself wanting me to spend more time on a particular verse. So I just say that so you won't be mad at me. Or if you or be mad at me and email me at, at Pastor Curtis at gmail dot com. Let's pray. Our father is so good to have a father. It is so good to to know that you love us and that you care for us, that you're as we sung about this morning, that you're tender toward us. So good to us, God. So we uh, we really are when we sit under your preaching, God. We're like kids huddled up in in a living room next to a fire, and you're sitting in the chair, Father. And we want to hear from you, God. So my prayer would be that people would not um, hear from me so much as they would hear from you through your word. And I could just be a, a messenger of that word today. So uh, get our minds ready, Father, please. Get our hearts ready. We, we trust that you will do some speaking through your word, but there's also work to be done in our ears and, and in our minds and in our hearts. God, we're just an easily distracted people. We're uh, people burdened with all kinds of other concerns. We, we have uh, wrong lenses we probably look through so often. We, we see dimly. We're, we're sinful. We're in a world that does not predominantly proclaim your truth. So, God, there's a lot of things stacked against us when we come to hear from you. So we ask that you would not just bring your word, but bring it powerfully that your Holy Spirit would really carry your word through all of our junk and, and deliver it with a, with a good punch to our heart. Pray that we be changed today and that we would just glory for the next hour or so as we get to hear from, from your word, God. Oh, you savor this time and enjoy this time. Not, not to be a task we check off the list, God, but to be a time that we, that we delight in. Oh, we love you and we give you all praise, glory, honor. We pray these things, as always, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to basically read something to you as an introduction to what we're going to look at today to get us in the right place in, in the story that we're in, in the book of Genesis and where we fall today in chapter 15. So please listen. Maybe close your Bibles for a minute. Maybe just close your eyes, whatever you need to, whatever you need to do. God has a plan, a great plan, a plan that works out perfectly with God getting glory and his children getting joy. God is made for glory and we are made for joy. And in the end, the end of God's story, God will be glorified. We will be joyful. We will be singing and he will be sung too. His children do that now, at least every Sunday. We come and we sing. But what we do now is not what it will be because when we do it now, it's rejoicing, swimming in sorrow. It's tears of happy and tears of sad. It's a soul in a body with cancer singing. It's singing it is well with my soul in the middle of broken relationships and death and turmoil. 
in heaven, the eternal ending of the plan, there is only happy tears. Now, our Bible tells the whole story from the mind of God before creation to good creation to corrupted creation to redeeming creation, which is where we are now, to restoration where we will one day be. From paradise had to paradise lost to paradise regained. And God's Word is sent to us in the middle of this plan. It came to Adam. It came to Noah. It came to Abram. And it comes to us. God's Word. I created and it was good. God says there was no brokenness. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no loneliness. And then there was. And there was brokenness and guilt and shame and loneliness because man decided that we had a better way, that we did not need God, that we do not have to obey God, and there are greater pleasures than God. And this is called sin. And here's the thing about sin. It's very sinful. It's bad. And bad things deserve bad things. Bad things deserve bad things. Did George Zimmerman commit a crime? Did he murder Trayvon Martin? If he did, he will go to prison for life. Bad things deserve bad things. So are we bad things? That's debated. God says we are. We're like Adam. We're not unlike Adam, what do your thoughts and what do your words and what do your behaviors tell you? But this story does not end the way we think it would. It doesn't just end with retribution. The word does not come to us and go creation, fall, retribution or Creation, sin, temporal happiness you'll have access to for a while in this life, and then retribution. Instead, good news comes to us. Good news comes to us. The good news is that we have not been found not guilty. That's not the good news. The good news is not, guess what? We're not guilty. The good news is that Jesus came. That God came. Jesus came on a rescue mission. Now this was not the kind of rescue mission where the rescuer makes it out alive. He crosses enemy lines, finds and liberates captives and leads them back to safety. We are not the innocent captives and Jesus does not make it out alive. The way Jesus rescued us was by living for us and dying for us. He lived for those He came to rescue. And He died for those He came to rescue. He lived righteously, perfectly. Which is why after He died and was resurrected, He went back to God the Father, no cleansing needed. He lived that way and credits His righteousness to the accounts of His people. He died for his people. First and foremost, he was sentenced to death, not by Pontius Pilate, but by God. Jesus was sentenced to death, not for crimes he committed, but for crimes he agreed to be punished for. Jesus came to be punished for our crimes, for our sins in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So now His people, past and present and future, can sing. We can sing to Him because we are not afraid of God. 
We are cleansed and made righteous and forgiven. He gives his people happy tears again. Like in the garden. But we are not done. Our joy is not full. We are still swimming in sorrow, but we will not always be. We will not always be. Who are God's people? Who are these people who are singing to Him? All people? Clearly not. Which people? Well, you'll know. They will love God for what He has done, He says. God says, they will follow Me. They will be singing to Me. Really singing to Me. And they will be singing to Me because I will come to them with My Word and with My Spirit and I will give them this good news. And Genesis, God has done this with men like Adam and Noah. And now we read of Abram. These are the men in your Bible so far that are singing to God. These are the ones that know God's plan. They know that God is good. They know that God loves them and that God will rescue them from sin. So remember now, what is this called? What is this called when when some people sing to God, when some people hear God's word and they believe God's word and they live God's word. And our Bible calls this song faith. This is called faith, which we're going to see again in Genesis 15. Faith is believing God. Faith is believing God. So let's look again at Genesis 15 now. Let's look at again at the the father of our faith. He's commonly called Father Abraham. We'll pick it up in Genesis chapter 15. Verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. After these things. After what things? Well, Abram's nephew Lot. This is what has just happened. Abram's nephew, Lot, who's a lot of trouble. He was kidnapped, right? And he was taken captive by enemy kings and Abram goes Liam Neeson on them, right? Uh, he, he calls up the kings and says, I have a particular set of skills that I have acquired over a long career that make me a nightmare for people like you. And this is what Abram does. He goes to war with his his non-believing neighbors, and he takes 318 men that he has trained. They battle these armies. They defeat these armies. They rescue Lot. And on his way back home, he meets two kings. Right? A king from Salem and the king from Sodom. And one of them is a wicked king. And the wicked king offers Abram a reward. And Abram turns down the ward, the reward and snubs this king and says, No, Thank you. I don't I don't want your money. I don't want your reward. God is going to meet all of my needs. So after this, that's the these things. After this, God comes to Abram in in a vision. And as we're going to see, God comes to Abram now and God's coming to Abram in this vision. It coincides with some doubts that Abram is having. Okay, so Abram is having some doubts, and so God is going to come to him. And Abram is struggling here. He's wrestling with God. Abram is struggling because he's remembering God's words that we read about in chapter 12. Okay, so Abram is remembering God's words back in chapter 12 and some promises that God made in chapter 12. And this is years later, and the promises aren't fulfilled, and Abram's starting to worry and he's doubting that they're going to be fulfilled and so he comes to God. So this is what he's remembering. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. He's remembering God saying this. The Lord said to Abram years ago now, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you 
And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's Abram now years later. Right, no child, no land. Doesn't feel like he's any closer to being a nation. Doesn't feel like he's any closer to God's promises being fulfilled. And he's on his way back and he's wondering, should I have taken that reward? Should I have taken these riches that were offered to me? Maybe that was God's means for fulfilling his promise. God, you have, Abram saying, God, you have promised to give me things. You've promised to give me children. You've promised to give me land. You've promised to make me a great nation, but I have no land and I have no child. Now, right off the bat, right off the bat, I want you to hear and I want you to note that God does not rebuke Abram for having doubts. He could have. God could have come down and said, shut you silly little old man. You have forgotten. I'm God. You're not. Do not doubt me. Do not question me. I said it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Stop nagging me. God doesn't do this. He doesn't come to Abram and he doesn't rebuke him. Here's what God says. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The first thing God says is fear not. You always see this in your Bible. When when God and angels, whenever God or, or those on God's behalf come down to earth and show up like God does here in front of God's people, and if they're not angry, the first thing they always have to say to everybody is don't run. Right? Don't be afraid. Because right, we say things like, oh, I wish I could see God. Oh, I just wish God would come and visit me. No, you don't. You would freak. You would totally freak out. So when God comes in, in his glory, okay, the first thing he says is, it's okay, it's okay, like, I'm not here to kill you. Because that's what you're going to assume. I'm not, I'm not here to kill you, fear not. And God actually says, he puts him at ease. Okay, relax, Abram. I'm here to give you some good news. And he says two things right off the bat. He says, first, I am your shield. God says, I am your shield. God reminds Abram that he is his shield. Where did Abram just come from? Abram just came from victory on the battlefield, right? He's an 80-year-old man riding on a pony home from this battle that he just won. I mean, if there's ever an opportunity for pride, this is it. He's like, I am 80. I'm 80. And I just want, I'm, I'm not on a lark. I'm on a horse. I'm swinging a sword. We just won this battle. And so God reminds him, you, you won this battle. Okay, because I love you. And you, you won this battle because I'm your shield. And it should have gone far worse than you. You were, you were outnumbered. Okay, but, but it's gone well for you because I was your shield and I protected you. This is good for us to remember. Right. As children of Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, Scripture tells us, is that God is our shield. We have no idea what God has protected us from. We have no idea what God has protected us from. We uh, complain about what God lets in without giving any regard to what God has kept out. Let me think about that. Oh, God, I can't believe that you're. You're letting this in. I can't believe that you're not protecting me from this. But we have no idea what God is protecting us from. We have no idea. We have, we have no idea the cars that he has allowed and, and, and ordained to swerve in, in another direction. We, we have no idea of the, the cancer cells that he has killed in our body. We have no idea of the sins that he has kept us from. 
It could be so much worse. Some of us, it would be, it would be good and wise for us to, to, to give our imagination to this for a bit. And to just think about what God may have protected us from. He's our shield. A lot of the arrows don't even come through, friends. These don't even know. So God, he says, Abram, I'm your, I'm your shield. And then God basically tells Abram not to worry about the reward that he's just given up. Right? Don't, don't, don't worry about this because I'm going to take care of you. So your reward shall be very great. Or if you have a king, the King James Version or the New King James or New American Standard or the New International Version, they say, I am your very great reward. I am your very great reward. So here's Noah, and he just, he just gave up all this money, all of these possessions, all this wealth that he, that he could have had. And he's wondering if he should have done that because he's supposed to become a nation here and it's not going so well. No children, no land. And God comes and says, Abram, I'm going to take care of you, Abram. Sweet words to him. I'm going to take care of you. In fact, Abram, don't forget that I know you don't have all this, this stuff, but you have, you have me. And I will be your very great reward. Christians, your very great reward is God. Amen. And Jesus Christ died for you to bring you to God, not God's stuff. God is the gospel. God is the good news. The good news is that we get God. We're reconciled to him. We're brought into fellowship with him. The gifts are a delight, but God is the delight. So Abram has God. He's got no land. He's got no child, but he has God. His faith has an object, and the object of his faith is God. And so God comes and says, listen, I'm your shield. I know you've got some doubts right now. Let's dialogue. God dialogues with them. I am your shield. Don't forget that. I've protected you. I'm protecting you. I will protect you. And remember, you've got me. You've got me. I am your great reward. I know you don't have a child. I know that's rough. I know you, I know you wanted a child badly before I ever came to you and promised you I would give you a child. And now I'm delaying on that. I know how frustrating that is, but no, I, I'm going to come through here. I'm going to take care of you. I am your very great reward. Jesus is our treasure. Jesus is our greatest treasure. That's really difficult for us to to sift through all the other things that we treasure because we are a people with a lot of treasures and a people with a lot of possessions and a people with worldly world speaking a lot of a lot of wealth. So we've got a lot of other things that can can be a, a thieves of our affection. And so it can be more difficult for us to feel this. For some of you, God has graciously taken things away. For some of us, God is graciously going to take much more away. And it will be His grace to get us to a place where we know that He is our treasure. You don't need all this. He alone is our treasure. If you got it, great. Thank you, God. If you don't, got it, great. Paul says, I know I've, I've had to learn how to live with a lot and how to live with nothing. Jesus is our greatest treasure. And Abram said in verse 2. But Abram said, and we're going to hear his doubts here. We're going to hear Abram's doubts for the rest of the chapter. Abram will ask God about the child and he'll ask God about the land that that God has promised to him. Okay, so verses 2 through 6, Abram is saying, what about the son? What about the son? You, you told me you were going to give me a son. Years have gone by. I'm 80 years old. I have no son. And so what you're going to see is faith, Abram's faith, seeking assurance of God's promise to give him a son. And then in verses 7 through 21, Abram's going to say, what about the land? You said I was going to have a son. You said I was going to have land. I've got no son. I've got no land. What about the land in verses 7 through 21? And there we're going to see faith seeking assurance of God's promise to give him land. But first, he brings his doubt to God regarding the child. Where's the kid? Where is the son? Are you coming through here? Abram said, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring. And so a member of my household will be my heir. 
So Abram's wrestling with God. Abram is faithful, but he's struggling. So Abram, is, he's struggling in his faith. He's not struggling with his faith. There's a difference. He's struggling in his faith. He's not struggling with his faith. He knows that God is good. He knows that God loves him. He believes God. But circumstances, I mean, you relate to this, but circumstances are causing him to doubt God's ridiculous promises. And he's looking around, I love you, God. I know you're good. I, I believe you, God, but I'm, I'm struggling. I'm doubting that you're really going to come through on these promises that just seem ridiculous. So what does he do? This is very important. So what does Abram do with these doubts? He goes to God. He goes to God. He's telling him, I am doubting you, God, and I need... This is what he's saying. I am doubting you, God, and I need your help because I don't like this. And I want to be close to you. I'm doubting you, and that feels like we're apart. And I want to trust you more. And I I don't want to have these doubts. I don't want to have these feelings. So he's asking God to help him. uh, Assure me, because he wants to be close to God. That is godly. That is godly. Not to pretend you don't have any doubts. That is not godly. Not to suppress your doubts. That is not godly. But to be open and frank and honest with God. I've got some doubts here, God. Love you. Believe you. But I'm really struggling. In fact, Abram's struggling because he believes God, if you think about it. He's struggling because he believes God. Because he's not just struggling with the pain of childlessness. I mean, he had that before God came along. God has intensified the pain. Because God, it feels like to him, has now dangled a carrot out in front of him, right? He was already struggling not having a child. And then God came and said, I'm going to give you a child. And he gets all excited. And now years go by and there's no child. Like, that's just painful. God, what are you, what are you doing? Christians, you know this. God is always late. He is never on time from our perception. Please hear that last part. (laughs) He said God is late. (laughs) He's struggling here. You struggle like this? God, okay, I read it. I read it, but I'm really struggling. I'm doubting these promises. Okay, unbelief. This is different from doubt. Unbelief, full-on unbelief, runs from God and wants distance from God. Doubt runs to God. And doubt says, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this. I don't like this. I want to be close again. And so Abram comes to God and he starts off just with such humility. Oh, Lord God, Adonai, Yahweh, sovereign Lord, sovereign God. That's quite a name. When he says that, he's saying God who is in control of all things. He says, oh, Lord God, and he expresses his doubts. And now verse four and five. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven. Number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So what does Abram do? He goes to God. What does God do? He comes down to Abram. What a good God, right? I mean, does Abram deserve this? No, he just deserves, you know, a dial tone on the other end. What does God do? God condescends again. Psalm 103, God knows our frame. He knows we're like dust. Okay? He doesn't expect us to be gods. 
And so he's tender and compassionate. He's going to come down to, and he's going to, he's going to tell him and he's going to show him. He's going to tell him and he's going to show him. He's going to, what is he doing? He's assuring Abram. He doesn't come down and say, assurance? Please, look at the signature on the contract. It's God. He, he doesn't he doesn't do this. God comes down to Abram and he assures him with words like God assures us with his word. And then he's going to assure him with with a sign. Right. Abram cannot see the fulfillment of God's promises. In fact, he will not see the fulfillment of God's promises in his lifetime, by the way. It doesn't happen for like 800 years. <laughs> so think about that. You got a promise. It's like, when am I going to see it? When am I going to see it? When am I going to see it today? Tonight? Tomorrow? Maybe next week? Maybe a year from now? Oh, I hope it's not two years. Maybe 800. <laughs> it might just be 800. <laughs> you might not see it from the cheap seats. You might just need to be in heaven before you're even going to see. You're even going to see God's fulfillment of many of these promises. So, so God asks, he asks Abram to trust him. This is what God is doing. He doesn't fulfill. Okay, you know what? Let me just fulfill it right now. Go, go home. She's got a baby. Doesn't do that. He doesn't do that, but God assures him and then puts puts it back in, on Abram and says, now you need you need to have what you need to have faith. This is how this works. You don't live by sight. I, I know you live by sight is bad. It is bad. Friends, you live by sight it is bad because you're going to have to live by faith. You have to trust me and you have to God says you have to believe me and trust me until okay, we want to fill in the next word and there is no next word. Okay, believe you and trust you how long? Believe and trust you until, and God puts a period. That's tough. But it's just until. Until. But they're promises. As Pastor Curtis quoted from Numbers 23, they're promises. They will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled. So he comes and he gives him his word. And as if that's not enough, God gives him a sign. God gives him a sign then. He, he illustrates this for him. And now, while God illustrates it for him, let me make this more real to you, Abram. God knows that we worldly minded human beings, we, we struggle with spiritual promises given to us in the word. Right. We're like Abram. OK, we struggle with this at times. And so he gives Abram and he gives us and some of you can think of some of them now. And he gives us then tangible signs that we can see in order to remind us of the sure reality of the invisible spiritual promises that he has given to us. So we're not saying that God gives us, we're not, we're not saying, you know, put out your fleece tonight. We're not saying that, oh, am I, do I choose A or B? God, give me a sign. That's pretty sketchy. But what God does do is God does bring signs, not to help us determine what we should do with our life and what decisions we should make. But God brings us signs to assure us that he loves us. Okay, like a rainbow. Or like stars at night we're going to read about now. These are of significance. Or something else that God just brings to you through a person or through circumstance. And it's a sign to you and a reminder. You've had that happen and, and, you, and, and you see something or you hear something. Or you feel something. You're like, God loves me. God loves me. I just know that was from God and I'm reminded of his great promises because he loves you. And this is exactly what he does to to Abram. He brings him outside and says, Abram, listen, Okay, I know you're struggling. Go outside. Look up at the stars. Okay, how many how many stars are there, Abram? He probably starts counting. And he's like, wait a minute. Are you serious? A lot. Millions and millions, right? Says Abram, that's how many kids you're going to have. Okay, each one of those stars has a name. Can the name matches up with one of your offspring? Abram, I'm going to give you physical children. I'm going to give you spiritual children. I'm going to use you and your line of children. Okay, Jesus is going to be born. He's going to come and rescue all my people. All these stars. So Abram says, oh, okay. I get it. I get it. God says, trust me now. You know, you can go outside tonight and you can look at the stars and you can, you can know the same thing. 
I mean, not to sound totally cheesy, but you go outside tonight, one of those stars has your name on it. Verse 6. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now you've heard this verse before. This is a famous verse in your Bible. Like John 3.16 caliber right here. This is a famous verse in your Bible. It's quoted several times in the New Testament. Both Paul, Paul uses it several times. Uh, Jesus' brother James also uses it in chapter 2. Paul and James both used this verse to affirm uh, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone. Okay, it was huge foundational church doctrine. Uh, Martin Luther, who spurred on the Reformation in the 16th century, this was the verse that he went back to. Okay, so this is one of the most famous verses in your in, entire Bible. So let's make sure that we, we understand this. Okay, here's the big debate that precedes this verse being brought up every time in your New Testament. Okay, the big debate is, how are we saved? Okay, that's what people are asking Paul. That's what people are asking James. That's what people are asking us today. That's what we're thinking about. How are we saved? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? Right? How many of you have heard that debate? Okay, in Christianity and other religions, okay, are we saved by, by, by the things that we do? Are we saved by faith or are we saved by works? And so Paul asks that question in, in Romans and Galatians. Okay, how are we saved? And then how does Paul answer it? This is great. This is how we should answer questions. This is what Paul says. Any of you have a Bible? That's what he does. And to his audience, he says, let's go and back and let's look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And let's look at Father Abraham. Okay, and let's see. Is he saved by faith or by works? And so then this is the verse that Paul uses to prove the doctrine of justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So two simple things that we understand from that verse. It, we are not saved by works. Okay, We are not saved by works. Now, if you think you're a really good person, you're bummed out about that. And if you know you're not a good person, you're really relieved to hear that. So we've got all kinds of emotions going on in the room right now. But it is very clear we are not saved by works. Christianity does not say be good to get to God. It does not say be good to get to God. Now, Christianity is, Christianity does teach salvation by works. But it's by the work of Christ, not our works. So work has to be done. But it's not work that you and I can do. It's only work that Christ can done. So we're not saved by what we do. We're saved by what he did. And this is what we read here in Genesis chapter 15. God is not okay, counting Abram as righteous because he's a great guy. It does not say, and Abram was a great guy and God credited to him as righteousness. It does not say that. God does not look at, at Abram and say, man, I have been looking for you. Where have you been? You are so good and amazing and, and sweet. And Abram's like, you know, I know. And I was waiting for you to find me. I heard you were looking for good guys. And here he is, your lucky day. Here we go. And God's like, do you do consulting? Because I've got some decisions I need to make. And I'm wondering, because you are a really great guy. You are righteous. That is not... That is not what it says, which is why this is bedrock for the reality that we are not saved by works. God is not impressed with, with, with my resume, whatever that is. God is not impressed with your resume. Totally unimpressed. This means that I don't need to be good to get to God. It means that I don't need to earn my salvation or earn his affections. What I need is to be forgiven. 
Okay, because I'm not going to be good enough. You're just, you're not. You're not going to be good enough. You don't have to be good enough. You're not going to earn it. You can't earn it. You need to be forgiven. You need to be forgiven and, and washed clean. So I need to, and, and Abram needs to trust God. I need to trust God that He will take care of it. That is faith. That is faith. So it's not by works. It is by faith. God speaks and we believe it. God tells Abram, Abram, I'm going to come through on these promises. Come on out. Look at the stars. Guys, remember, okay, I'm going to keep my promise. And then what did Abram do? Abram believed God. He believed Him. He took God's Word for it. He took God at His Word. That's what faith is. Faith is taking God at His Word. Faith is trusting in the Word of God and the God of the Word. Cannot separate them. Faith is trusting in the Word of God and the God of the Word. Who do we believe? Who are we trusting? Who is our faith in? God says your faith should be in me. And then as James says and makes very clear, okay, lest we think that this is just, okay, so faith is, I believe. There, did it. I'm good. Then faith makes it very clear that this is a faith that works. Right? So you don't save by works, save by faith. But your faith is a working faith. Like, there's going to be a difference. This is to keep people, you know, from, from banking on just some words that they said and assuming that that means that they're Christians. Okay, not saved by works. That could get taken way too far to an unbiblical extent. Not saved by works. We stop there. So, I could do whatever I want to do. I could do anything I want to do. I could say anything I want. I can think anything I want. I'm elect. This is sweet. Yeah, I'm going to get out a hell free card. doesn't matter what I do. I just show that at the door. But no, James makes it very clear. This is a faith that works. So it, it, it's this. I believe God, so I obey God. Amen. So you don't obey God, then do you believe God? Okay, believe God, so I obey God. Even if I disagree with God, I just assume that I am wrong. That's really important. Because don't, don't say you don't and haven't disagreed with God. You've disagreed with God. Some of you, there's doctrines that you know are true right now, but you just you, you refuse to believe them even though it's clear in His Word because you just... No. You disagree with God. Oh, thank you very much, God. appreciate your perspective. But I think you got this one wrong. He's a little tweaking. I'll take care of it. If you disagree with God, you should assume that you are wrong. This is what faith does. I believe God. I obey God. So, this is what this means. We can't say, I'm a Christian, but I don't do what God tells me to do. You're not allowed to say that. If you say that, you're a very weird kind of Christian. You're, it's called, you're a non-Christian Christian. Pay attention to that first part. It's really important. You're a non-Christian Christian. You're what John Owen calls a professor. Blah, 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 blah. I love you. I love you. I sing to you. I honor you. But you don't do what he says. You're just professing faith. It's not real faith. That is not, that is not a Christian. This was a big debate back, I think it was in the 80s, John MacArthur spearheaded it as lordship salvation, where people started dividing it into categories so that they could say that non-Christians in their church were Christians. Well, there's being saved, and then there's at some point in your faith submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. What, what is that? So you get saved, and then at some point in your life, you say, now I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do, and He's Lord of my life. But I placed my faith, I believed, I said the prayer, I did that. So it was a theology so that pastors didn't have to look out at their congregation and say, I don't think you're Christians. You're just you're Christian 1.0. You'll get there, but for now, you're the kinds of Christians that don't obey God. Well, the kinds of Christians that don't obey God are not Christians. Some people get really upset about that and say, how dare you say that I'm not a Christian? Well, how dare you say that you're a Christian? 
And how dare how dare we say that you're a Christian? It's like looking at the guy who's about to jump out of the plane. He doesn't have a parachute on. Well, I don't want to offend him. <laughs> like, dude, you don't have a parachute on. <laughs> like 5,000 feet off the ground. You, you should really put a parachute on. Yeah, don't talk to me like that. What, do you think I'm stupid? Well, apparently. <laughs> you should probably put it on. I'm sorry for injuring your pride, but go ahead. Cry about that, but you should put the parachute on while you're crying about that. Okay, it's It's silly. It's silly. We make judgments. We're pretty careful with that. We're pretty careful with that. But sometimes, yeah. Especially those who call themselves Christians, Paul says. Don't want to judge. Don't want to judge. Don't want to judge. Where do we get that idea? I mean, don't judge the world. Don't get mad at the world for not acting like Jesus when they don't know Jesus. But as far as those within the church, you're supposed to judge them. What does that mean? It means you look at their life and you draw conclusions. (laughs) It's all right. That doesn't mean then you go and, you know, tweet about it or something. But you, you make observations, you draw conclusions, and if there's a concern, you go to them. You know, and you talk to them. And if they say, don't judge me, you look at them and say, well, I guess I'm right. <laughs> but you don't say that. <laughs> no, see, we're not being like God then. He is tender, compassionate. Okay, the next one. So what about the what about the land? Okay, this is his next concern. So that's the son, and God is so good. He comes to him and says, "Listen, I'm, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a son, right?" It doesn't say, you know, I'm going to give. He just says, "I'm going to give you a son. Trust me. It's not going to have to be your your distant relative here, or this guy in your house. I'm going to give you a son." So now, verse seven, and he said to him, "God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess." But he said, "Here it is again. Abram's doubting. Oh Lord God, how am I to know?" That I shall possess it. This is great. You've got to love God. He said to him, bring me a heifer. Isn't God great? I'm struggling, God. How do I know that you're going to fulfill your promise? How do I know that you're going to give me this land? And God says, go get a cow. Oh, I see, Lord. I see what you're doing here. Of course, the cow. God is great. He's going to illustrate it again, though. God's going to illustrate it uh, again. So God's going to now, he's going to, he's going to tell Abram to do something. Okay, and if we look ahead to verse 18, you already heard Pastor Curtis read, but if we look ahead to verse 18, we find out what's going on here is covenant. Okay, this is a, a covenant and, and, and God is going to display this covenant by having Abram do something. He's going to give him a sign of it here. Okay, God is making, first time this word shows up with Abram, though we've seen it with, with Noah already, God is going to make a covenant with Abram. It's going to be described in two stages here, and then we'll read more in chapter 17 when we get there. So let's remember what a covenant is. So you remember these definitions. Uh, James Boyce says, a, a promise of God to people with whom he is dealing in a special way. Or uh, Palmer Robertson says, a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Keep these all in mind. Or uh, Charles Hodge says, a promise suspended upon a condition and attached to disobedience a certain penalty. Okay, so just just combine these and, and covenant is the Bible's word for solemn, sacred, intimate relationship. That's what covenant is. Covenant is, is, is your Bible's word for solemn, sacred okay, relationship. Okay, the marriage between a husband and a wife is a what? Is a covenant. Okay, the relationship of a, of a Christian with Christ, the church with Christ, we are in a covenant. And remember, covenants with God, these relationships with God, they are unilateral, they are eternal, and they are gracious. We've talked about that before. They are unilateral, 
Okay, it's not a bargaining. God makes all the terms. Okay, they are eternal, which means that God keeps them and they're gracious. It means we don't deserve them. So this solemn relationship, the sacred relationship that we're in with God, God initiates it, God keeps it, and we don't deserve it. That's, that's, that's really all we need to remember. God initiates this relationship. He courted us, not the other way around. God initiates this relationship. God keeps the relationship, and, and we do not deserve it. Okay, like Song of Solomon chapter 2 says, I am my beloved's and he is mine. That's going on between a husband and a wife, and that's going on between the church and Christ. I am his and he is mine. We're in a covenant relationship. And now what God is doing is he is giving Abram a sign of that covenant. Not the sign, we'll get to that, but it's a sign of the covenant. He's illustrating it for him. And this is why he tells him to get a cow. Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and, and a young pigeon. He says, I want you to go get these, and then God's going to tell him to, to do something here. Because, because Abram is doubting. Right? It's kind of like the stars. He's giving him a sign here. He's going to show him something. Abram's wondering, how does this covenant work? How does this relationship with you work? How, how can I be in a sacred and intimate relationship as an unholy man with a holy God? That's a question we should ask. How is, how is that going to work? I, I have no children. I have no land. Uh, I have doubts. Uh, I've screwed up, Abram is saying. I, I'm tempted to be faithless. How are we, we going to stay married, God? How is this going to work out? Well, it's going to work out by covenant. And God's going to show him. We get a little bit of insight into what's taking on here in, in, in Jeremiah 34, 18. This is a, a covenant ritual. Uh, two people who are entering into a covenant with each other would, would apparently do this at times. Uh, animals would be cut open. Animals would be dismembered. They would be laid on the ground. And both of the parties of the covenant would pass through. They would walk through the, the dismembered animals. And, and when doing that, they, they would basically make promises and commitments to one another and in, invoke that punishment on them if they didn't keep their promise. That's the idea. So there's blood on the ground, this sacrifice, these animals, this death. We're going to pass right through death. If I don't keep my end of this deal, if I don't keep my end of this covenant, okay, that should be me. That will be me. And so God's going to use it. He's going to do this with Abram. Okay, so let's just take it a verse at a time and hear what he does. Verse, verse 10. So Abram brought God all these. He cut them in half and he laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. So right away we see how this, this covenant work. Here's something we learn. There will be blood. There will be blood. This will always be true in God's story. There will be blood. Blood always needs to be shed. Hebrews says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Abram's learning that now. How are we going to stay married, God? Well, there's going to be bloodshed. Verse 11. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away more to this sign. There will be blood. There will be opposition. What is Abram having to do? God is sending birds. Okay, God is sending birds that, to interrupt and oppose what Abram is doing and Abram having to drive them away. This is not just random narrative. Like, oh, and you should know there were some birds there and they were annoying and that's not the, you know, there's a reason here. Okay, who controls the sparrows? God. So there will be opposition. They will have to be driven away. People and circumstances will threaten the covenant with God. And there will be a battle and there will be a fight involved and things will have to be shooed away and driven away. This is true in our covenant relationship with God. This is true. Those of you who are married have been married for a significant amount of time. You know, this is true in your marriage. There are people and there are circumstances that will threaten the covenant 
relationship between a husband and a wife. And those things should be fiercely, what? Driven away. So don't be surprised. Like, I can't believe this. There's, there will be opposition. There will be opposition and it must be driven away. Okay, many times in marriage and commonly fidelity is threatened in a marriage relationship and it must be driven away, especially by the head of that covenant, the husband. It must be driven away. Okay, Martin Luther said in regards to this, that you, you can't you can't stop the birds from flying around over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You shoo them away. Okay, men who are required to be faithful to their wife, you, you can't keep the birds from flying around over your head. Okay, there she is on TV. There she is at the at the mall. There this is. There this thought is. But you can keep that from making a nest in your hair. Amen. It's a fight. There will be opposition. Verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. So friends, there will be darkness. There will be darkness in this covenant. There will be sin. In this covenant. That's what this symbolizes in your Bible. Darkness. Dread. Sin. You will feel the weight of sin. Again, don't be surprised, Christian. Well, I thought that this was going to go better. Or differently. That guy looks so happy on the cover of that book. Why is this so hard? Why so much opposition? Why sin? Why? Well, don't be surprised. There will be darkness. Verse 13, though, very important. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. When does God come to Abram? In the darkness. You see that? You see when God delays. You see when God waits. You see when God purposefully comes to Abram. Right after the deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Be sure of this in the covenant. God will come to you in the darkness and God will speak. We'll see in the next verses that God will act. But God will come to us in the darkness and and God will speak. What kinds of things does God speak to us in in the darkness? Well, God God says things to us like that. This may not be pretty and the, the future may not be pretty. But listen, it has a great ending. Has a great ending. Okay, what is what is every every good movie? Right, the the plot line of every good movie is it goes it goes good, bad, even better. Right, that's I mean some of you like depressing movies, and so that's not a good movie to you. But most of you, that's what you like in a movie. Right, there's resolve. There's and and it starts off right, and it gets you wanting something like it's good, or this relationship is good, or she's good, or the world is good, or whatever. And then it gets you liking that, right? And then something terrible happens and threatens to undo that. And and then, but it doesn't just if it's good, if it's good and you like it and want to see it again, it doesn't just get back to where it was, right? It's it's somehow through all that mess, it's even better. It's even better. And that's what God's promises say to us. God comes to us in darkness, Abram in the darkness of his doubts. Okay? He even feels the weight of this. Just it's heavy. And then God comes to him and says, Listen, it's gonna be a while, he tells it's gonna be four hundred years. But listen, it's gonna it's gonna get better. There is a great ending. Now in Abram's case, what was God telling him? 
Listen, it's going to get worse before it's going to get better. It's going to get worse before it's going to get better. And God has a whole plan that he's going to, you're going to have a great, a lot of children, a great nation. They're going to end up being enslaved. They're going to go in their 60 some. They're going to come out millions. It's all part of my plan. And I, I plan to annihilate everyone in, in this land. But in order for that to be just, he says, in order for that to be just, it, I need to let them go longer. He says about the Amorites, they need to actually get more sinful. They need to store up more iniquity because you're going to come in and annihilate them and that needs to be just. So God has a plan. And who would, who would think, perceive that? But God gives him insight here. Because it, there, there will be a, a great, great ending. Verse 14, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then verse 17, And when the sun had gone down, so it's completely dark now, right? When the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. So there will be darkness. God will come to you in the darkness and he will speak and then God will act. Okay, in Scripture, light, fire, smoke, Okay, these point to the consuming fire, who is God. Remember the Israelites wandering in the, in the wilderness and what was the sign of God's presence, the pillar of fire? Moses, when he was confronted in the wilderness, the bush was burning. So, so what, is, what does God come? How does God act? And, and what does God do? It's totally dark now. It's totally dark. Okay, just this bloody sacrifice on the ground. This is Abram in complete darkness and bloody carcasses. That's where he finds himself. And then what does Abram see? What does he see? He sees a light. You see how God works? He he sees a light. And who is the light? It's God. It's Jesus. He sees the light. And then what does God do? He passes through the blood. Does he ask Abram, as would be customary in this kind of covenant ritual, does he ask Abram to pass through the sacrifice? He does not ask Abram to pass through the sacrifice. Abram is out of it. He is in darkness. He is feeling oppressed, depressed. And then a light comes following God's word of promise. And the light passes through the sacrifice. How are we going to stay married, God? How is this relationship going to work? How will this covenant remain? How can I, an unholy man, be with you, a holy God? And God shows him, he tells him, and then God shows him, I will keep this covenant. I will keep the covenant. I will pass through. I will shed blood. My blood will be shed for you, Abram. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, and I close with this verse. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Let's pray. Great Father in Heaven, thank You for the work that You have done in Christ. Father, thank You for sending Your Son. Jesus, thank You for dying for us. Thank You for passing Yourself through the sacrifice for becoming our sacrifice for dying in place of us so that we could become righteous before God, acceptable before God, holy before God. Jesus, thank you.
Holy Spirit, we thank you for opening our eyes to this. We thank you for shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ deeply in our hearts. Father, and I pray for all those here, wherever we are in this journey of faith. God, I pray that if there are faithless here today who have never placed their faith in you, that they would be faithful now. They would see, that they would hear, that they would believe, and they would turn to you. For those of us who would be counted as the faithful God, but do not feel very faithful and feel faithless, God, remind us not of the good in us, but remind us of the good in you. God, and help us in the darkness to see that smoking fire pot passing through death. And be reminded, God, that we are not being tormented, hanging by a thread, that we are your loved children. And that you grieve us with these trials because of your great love for us. That your glory may be more full, that our joy may be more full. So we love you for this. We love you for your work in everything and in all things. We praise you. And we do this in the perfect name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this free audio podcast by Veritas Church. For more audio and video, please visit veritas-truth.com.